Are you in touch with your body? Now, I'm not literally talking about like touching your body. I'm saying, are you in touch with the feelings and how your body reacts to that? If not, I really want you to listen into the conversation between myself and Leisha Song. Leisha Song is a, a trauma survivor, an EMDR therapist and author, and more importantly, someone who is all about being creatively curious when it comes to healing trauma through somatic or bodywork exercises. If you're interested in learning more about what that looks like and how you can find healing through being in touch with your body, listen to this very impactful and powerful conversation. You're going to get so many good tips coming to you after this short break. Hey, Alicia, how are you doing today? Good. How are you, Denise? All right. It's like 90s in October in Central Texas, but you know, it is what it is. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. (laughs) Wow. And it's it's it hurts uh to constantly trying to adapt to uncomfortable situations but you're a relative expert about that <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> i never consider myself an expert on those things but you know looking back and reflecting on my life yeah i've gotten pretty good at um working through uncomfortable situations yeah uh Today, Alicia and I are going to be talking about her book, Love What Hurts. And for those of you guys who don't know who Alicia Song is and what she's about, intuitive trauma therapists may seem kind of scary because like, wait a minute, I have to examine my own stuff in order to get well. Why can't we just think positively? Right, right. Thinking positively, and I even have a chapter about positive affirmations in my book. Um, uh, They don't work. (laughs) They don't work unless you first address the wounding behind the negative self-talk. Like, we have to go to the origin. We have to clean out that wound, you know, and then the positive affirmations can potentially be effective and and impact impact you in a positive way. But if you don't address that wounding and you try to bypass that wounding with positive affirmations, positive thinking, what's going to happen is you're nothing's going to change, and then you have another thing to judge yourself about. Like that's how permanently damaged I am. These positive affirmations are not helping me. So it just sends a person down further down that rabbit hole of the inner critic. On page 43 in your book, you write, when we accept how the past played out, what we endured, we are making a conscious choice to be present for ourselves now. Mm-hmm. There's so much to, to unpack and unravel when I when I was reading that quote is this idea of I'm going to see things accurately for how it was, not how my pain presented it to be. And you do this so beautifully in your book by talking about your relationship with your father. Mm -hmm. 
and how it impacted your family decisions and how you related to pain. And I don't want to get too deep in the details because people need to read the book, obviously. But Mm -hmm. would you kind of just summarize like the relationship that you had with your father? Um, so it was an interesting relationship. Um, of course, um, most of it was abusive on his part. He was sexually abusive towards me. Um, he is also not my biological father. He adopted me when I was a year old. I don't know who my biological father is. Um, but he was rather, his abuse was not quote unquote violent. It was violating, but it wasn't violent. There weren't threats. He wasn't, you know, um, screaming or, or using weapons or anything like that. Um, so it was confusing because it felt like loving attention in some ways, because my other parent, my mother, um, was not loving when I was growing up. She was, um, she's a survivor of her own traumas. Um, so she couldn't be very present for me and my emotional needs. Yeah. So, uh, in some ways I did have a close relationship with my father outside of the abuse where we had a similar sense of humor. Um, he praised my intellect. Um, basically he, he treated me like a peer. Right. And what I saw as I got older, I even at the age of 11 or 12, I stopped his abusing me. Um, cause I saw that he was a weak person that he was very childlike. So I realized, oh, I can stop this and he won't retaliate. And he didn't. So, and, um, and then I went to therapy when I was in college, 18 years old. And about the age of 21, I decided I no longer wanted a relationship with my father. He was, um, yeah, he just, he wasn't interested in getting help for himself. He wasn't interested in any sort of therapy. And uh, I wasn't interested in having a relationship with him. So. It it was really interesting how you talked about in the book that you went in further detail about your father, that he he was a runaway, he was abused himself, how the fact that your mother, the abuse issues that your mother suffered as well. And so that put some context around their behavior. And I know that there are people who are listening, they say, well, you don't know my mom, you don't know my dad, you don't know what I've gone through. And I'm like, well, do you know what your abuser gone through? We're not excusing their abuse. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. But we're helping us understand the situation so that we can heal. And your book talks about a lot of wonderful exercises, healing exercises, which we will get into. But I just wanted just to like park at that moment and say that putting context around the pain is necessary in order for you to go through the healing process. You can't go around it. And that's about seeing things accurately. Mm -hmm. 100%, 100% there. And 
I really discovered that not so much even in my own journey. Well, I did discover it in my own journey, but I first discovered it when I first started practicing EMDR therapy as a therapist. And I left the word at the beginning of my um, me, be, me being a therapist, I left the word forgiveness out of therapy um, because that was a triggering word for me. Um, the church that I grew up in was all about forgiving and forgetting. And I didn't know how to do that. So I left it out of the therapy office. But what I realized is when people were healing from their trauma is they naturally came to a place of forgiving their perpetrators, their abusers, their neglectors without my agenda at all, without my influence. And, you know, then it clicked, you know, it clicked for me like, oh, forgiveness is really a gift to oneself. It's a gift of love because you're really detaching from your woundedness. Right. And it became easier for my clients to see that's how they were able to forgive is when their trauma, the impact of their trauma became desensitized, then they could see from a bigger perspective, like how their perpetrators abused them or how they neglected them. They could see through the eyes of their perpetrators as also having to survive some form of trauma. So definitely my two parents, they, uh, <laughs> they are children of trauma. My father was abandoned, you know, at the age of nine um, at a boy's orphanage because his mother, um, for whatever reason, probably um, poverty is the main one, could not take care of him and his sister. And in the orphanage is where he was sexually abused. And then he ran away from that orphanage. I think around the age of 16 to join the Navy. So. I want to, there's just so much to unpack about even his perception of what normal and healthy was, because if all you mm -hmm. experience was pain and confusion, like mm -hmm. that's your normal state, that's your reality, even if your reality is distorted. But I want to kind of backtrack because I really want people who are listening to understand what EMDR is. Oh, sure. And the connection between trauma, eye movement, re, uh, reprocessing desensitization. I'm, did I get the acronyms right? I'm sorry. It's actually, yeah, it's a long one. Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Thank yeah. you. Francine Shapiro, right? She made that. In yes. The, yeah, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, did, just, I, I know you're going to dive in deeper into EMDR because you, obviously you're an EMDR therapist, but you know when I think about EMDR, I think about dreaming and the states of rest and this idea of when our when we feel stressed and tired, sometimes we just need to take a rest. And then mm -hmm. when we're in those different states of sleep, we can get into that REM state, rapid eye movement processing, where we're like kind of doing an etch-a-sketch on our brain. We're kind of wiping clean all the crap. We're trying to process things correctly and we can't be unconscious all day long to repair so enter emdr so I'll, I'll let you kind of take the wheel now about that yeah exactly that's why emdr works is because it, that's the theory of course that of why it works is um that rapid eye movement because that is the most restorative stage of sleep for the mind and the body right but a lot of people with ptsd complex ptsd 
they have they have a hard time getting to REM. You know, they have a hard time even sleeping through the night. A lot of sleep disturbances with people with trauma. Um, so with EMDR, we get to do that eye movement while you're fully awake and it's fully intentional. We're working on specific memories or not. Not everyone has to have a specific memory, really. If I have the energy of your body reacting to something, I can work with that, right? And then there's usually, um, over time, we acquire a negative, irrational negative belief about ourselves um, that our logical brain would be like, that's not true, but we still feel it and believe it based on these disturbing or traumatic experiences in life. Like I'm permanently damaged, I'm not good enough, I'm worthless. And we incorporate those beliefs in with the EMDR therapy to help desensitize. So that's what it is at the start of an EMDR session, you're getting the client in their raw, honest form. We're not bypassing anything. What are your emotions about this memory? Where do you feel it in your body? What is the negative belief of yourself, even if it's irrational, that you feel and believe? I love EMDR in the sense that if you're not ready to talk about the, the trauma or the events or the feelings around it, this is like a safe place for you to go. So I want people to understand there's options. Mm-hmm. And obviously, EMDR specialists like yourself, and I love how your book ties in uh, ideas from Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps Score and When the Body Says No um, by um, Gabor Mate, and just understanding there is actually science behind this. We are literally keeping in all those on process feelings that came from that trauma. And whether or not you admit it, it's still there. It's come- Manifesting in irritable bowel syndrome, insomnia, headaches, migraines, muscle aches, spasms, lupus to some extent, asthma, like the list goes on and on. And so I don't want people who are listening and think, well, you know what, that's awesome, Denise and Alicia, like there's EMDR, but that's scary. Well, what's more scarier, going to the doctor because they detected an anomaly or getting the help that you need, getting the help that you need? I don't, I don't know. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. But, you know, are people who are in that state of denial, are they going to their doctors? <laughs> are they getting their regular checkups? They might they might be in such deep denial um, that they're not even going to their medical providers at all. That That's true, you know, but I'm hoping mm-hmm. those are the hypochondriacs in the room. <laughs> the ones who are on seven different medications in the room mm-hmm. will be cognizant of it. And I, allow me, Alicia, just to make a little, just a detour from the book. But I want to mention something that happened to me recently that perfectly ties in uh, into uh, some of the elements that you talked about, uh, about recognizing the pain that you feel. So this weekend, my husband and I, well, actually really my husband, was watching the Joker movie, the the version with Joaquin Felix. And there was this one particular scene that I'll just, it's just so memorable to me. And he, the, the character, Arthur Joker, preceded Joker, is talking to the social worker. And the social worker is saying, Arthur, you're on seven different medications. And then he responds, I just don't want to feel so sad all the time. 
Mm-hmm. And when I was reading your book and I was understanding about your own journey, I think you, I mean, did you just get tired of feeling sad? Did you get, I'm just trying to figure out like that, that, that moment you're like, oh my goodness, I I need to make a change. I did get tired of how I was cycling in my own head about my worth and even like flirting very briefly, very briefly with ending my life. Just like, what is the point? This is in my twenties. You know, what is the point? You know, I'm just, um, and then you have the bigger culture that influences all of that. Right. Um, so I got tired, but I also, I also didn't want to be a quote unquote screw up in any future significant relationships. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't even know I would become a mother until, you know, I was in my late twenties and um, because that really scared me because I didn't want to screw up, you know, a young person's life. So I got tired of the own, my own cycling in my own brain. And I really wanted to do the work so I could be better. So that could be a little bit of a, a sickness too. I'm going to be better than I am. <laughs> right. And I keep doing, you know, I, I, I was, I grew up as an evangelical Christian, but that morphed into, um, that was an open door. That was a portal to spirituality in general. And I'm no longer an evangelical Christian, but I'm, very much connected to my spirit, you know, and the spiritual journey has helped me to go deeper into those wounds and really like look at the layers, you know, to the point where now today, this may sound kind of a little sadistic, but I welcome triggers because I want to make sure that particular layer, whether it's shame or rage, I want to make sure it's clear and it's done, you know. So I actually like I I tell the universe I like just bring on the triggers let me continue to grow and evolve from the wounded place. As a creator of your life, we create tensions between what you want and what your your current reality is. When we're inviting the the triggers were inviting the like, please show yourself trauma, right? And mm-hmm. and actually embracing it with open arms that may seem a little daunting. I know for people who are listening right now, they're like, "What do you do? What do you what do you, what do you talk about? This sounds crazy." <laughs> oh yeah, it's totally daunting, and I don't. It, it's not something I would prescribe to someone who's brand new into addressing their woundings and their traumas. No, 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 no. This has been happening over the course of, um, you know, my entire adult, so 30 years, right? And me saying like, welcome the triggers, that's been in only in the last month have I actually said it out loud, like, bring it on, let's go, let's do this thing, you know? Because when you get past, you know, age 50, you're, you really have a sense of how life sh- how short life is, right? So I don't want to spend time in the gutters anymore of shame, of rage, 
of um, guilt, whatever, whatever the emotion is, right? Or whatever that identity is to the emotion. So yeah, bring, bring on the triggers so I can evolve and, and be the highest version of myself. I'm back at your book and I, I'm on page 39. When you neutralize or clear out the negative or disturbing emotions you're experiencing, you become clear on what needs to happen next. Your intuition becomes obviously clear. When you're no longer afraid to leave your job of 25 years, you become clear on giving notice to your employer. You become clear on what you'd like to pursue next in your career. When you're no longer resentful about your bitter divorce from five years ago, you become ready to try dating again or finding peace with being alone. And that leads into the clearing exercises. But before we kind of talk about the clearing exercises, I know there are a lot of people here. They're not going to want to admit it or not, or maybe they don't realize it or not, that are holding their pain as a badge of honor. Yes, they are. Yes. I think I may have done that too. When I first started to tell people in my early 20s, close friends about my father's abuse, and, and they knew who my father was, um, I, I was I was a survivor. Yeah, so I kind of held it as a badge of honor because um, you feel like you've been through and I don't need to, I don't mean to minimize war at all, but it, it sort of like feels like that emotionally and spiritually that you've just been through war. You've done things that a lot of people wouldn't do, like cut off a relationship with a parent, right? Um, so yeah, I did wear it as a badge of honor for a little while, and then I didn't need to. Sometimes we feel like we have to hang on to it to remember it so that we won't let it happen again or some version of that abuse happen again. We think that if we, like you said earlier, if we hold on to it, somehow we'll protect us. But if, if anything, it's just shackling us. It's yes, it's our own personal tourniquet. Yes, yes, 100%. Because when we wall off intimacy, we wall off all intimacy, right? You don't get to pick and choose what you're guarding. When you do it for, you know, granted, guarding and walling off may have been your key survival tool when you were young, growing up. Children are powerless by nature, so they have to figure out ways to survive their childhoods and walling off and performing um, and keeping emotions close, if not shut down, is a beautiful way to survive when you're a child when you're a teenager, but as an adult, it keeps you from experiencing real joy. It keeps you from experiencing a, a profound love between you and another person when you're walled off like that, when you're so guarded, heavily guarded. I just have to mention this before we get into clearing because it, it just, it just going through my mind. We should just, just forgive me on this. Too many of us, are living unsatisfactory lives 
based on the limitations of our demonstrators. When I say demonstrators, I'm talking about parents or academia or Uncle Jimmy or whoever else is in your world. And because of their, we're trying to model their own disabled emotional capacity, right? We're losing out on so many opportunities, so many opportunities for our own personal development, let alone our professional development as well. 100%. And that is so complicated and so multi-layered, right? Like there's family loyalty. There's, well, that that's a huge one. Like I can't go against my family um, because then they will, I will be, you know, shut out. I will, you know, they will, and that does happen. If somebody comes out about uh, a perpetrator in the family, it can split a family up. So that is a real fear. And that's why, and also, and so there's that camp of folks. And then there's also the camp where um, this is just the way we do things in our family. And they, they really, they're rigid at the idea of expanding beyond that because that expanding beyond that is too scary. Fear, fear is keeping us all from really living our true lives. Absolutely. And actually, then now this is great to talk about clearing exercises. So <laughs> for the benefit <laughs> of everybody is listening, would you explain like what, what is a clearing like exercise? Like what, what's that about? Right. So the clearing exercise is really like you can start with a trigger. So maybe um, you had an argument with your spouse, you know, last week and you realize like, wow, I had a really strong, rageful reaction over a topic that wasn't that big of a deal, right? So you can take, and and you can't let it go. You still can't let it go, even though logical brain is saying, it's not that big a deal, just let it go. But you can't, you're fixated on it for days and days, maybe weeks. Um, so what I like to do with folks is let's start with, let's start with the trigger, the mo your most recent trigger that you can't seem to shake off. Maybe it was an interaction with somebody. And I start off like, let's find the sensation, the energy of that trigger in your body. So let's scan your body. Where do you feel that trigger in your body? We, you know, find that location. Okay. What are the emotions behind that trigger? Find the emotions. Okay. Those are the emotions. Oh, and is a irrational negative belief maybe about yourself behind that emotion okay and is there a younger part of you you know holding on to this trigger is there an old memory that resonates with this particular trigger and so once we get to the origin of that trigger then i guide a person, a client, into showing some curious compassion with that younger part of you. Because self-love can be very triggering for folks like, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to love myself. So I sometimes don't even use the word love. Compassion seems a lot easier to start with. And the idea is when you when you acknowledge that younger wounded 
part of you with compassion, with love, with validation, with empathy, then the trigger just goes away. The emotion, the impact of that trigger just starts to melt away. And you've now created a connection between you and your past wounds. So you can do that for any trigger that comes up. <laughs> I, I love the compassionate curiosity. I, mm -hmm. For a lot of us, are the, the smart people who are listening in the room, you know, they have <laughs> been taught that forget about your feelings. Feelings aren't facts. Push through the discomfort. Get her done. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So here's what I want to say about that. There's only a very small area of our human bodies that is logical and rational and executive functioning role. That's the prefrontal cortex. That's a small portion. The rest of the brain, the rest of the body is all sensory, right? When trauma happens, when wounding happens to us, it happens to us on a sensory level. So we have to access it on a sensory level and heal it from that place. And the prefrontal cortex is beautiful. It helps us survive. It helps us get things done, right? That's great. I'm not you know, negating that. But we need a bridge so the two hemispheres of the brain can communicate with each other. And that bridge is either like EMD, some kind of a somatic, like EMDR therapy treatment to get you connected, to get the mind connected to the energy in the body. And that's why I love your section about energetic sensitivities. And I'm just going to quote from the section. If your inner wisdom is trying to warn you against something or someone, you may feel a nauseous sensation in your stomach, a tightness in your chest, or aches in your back. This might be your body telling you no. Sometimes, and without any particular emotion, you just simply know. When we grow up in scary situations where we have the like our caretakers, mom, dad, uncle Jimmy, whoever, who have poor self-regulating regulation of their emotions, they've got maladaptive tendencies. They are just basically not living life successfully. And they're reacting out of fears and worries and securities. And you're a little, you're you're a little sponge and you're just absorbing all of this. You've been you've been learned if you don't want to get hit, keep quiet. If you don't want to get in trouble, stay silent. And all of those things are just trapped in your body. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I mentioned is that for some of the people who are listening, they're like, I'm I'm totally disconnected with my body. I don't know when I feel discomfort. I've I've anesthetized myself. Anesthetized? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm garbling the word, forgive me. I'm numbing myself to my feelings. And that's just the way I've been for, not forget months, years, decades. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. A lot of people have done that very successfully, numbed themselves out. However, if you take a moment, um, you got to get some quiet time. You got to get some quiet time. And the pandemic 
showed us that when you can't do your things, your normal things, you can't go to your favorite places and you can't gather and all you have are you and your thoughts. And this is why every single therapist had a waiting list during 2020 and 2021 is because everyone was sitting with their own thoughts and they didn't like what they were hearing. So they needed to go get help. So the book is a self-help book, my book, but honestly, it is like, if you don't know how to do that because you are so numb, please go seek out an appropriate, a proper trauma therapist who can help you, who can teach you how to access your feelings through the body. So we might be numb emotionally and cut off from our bodies, but when you set aside quiet time, undistracted time, it could be 10 minutes, it could be an hour, you'll get to some of those feelings. You will. But some people might need initially the assistance of a ther- of a trauma therapist. I, I want people who are listening to understand that, as Alicia mentioned, this is conversation that we're having is not a replacement for symptoms of acute trauma, meaning that you you're barely functioning. You're not able to relate yourself. You're crying. You're you're going to unfitable bouts of rage, like. If you're not feeling okay with yourself or people around you, like just listening to this podcast, I'm don't get me wrong. Like I want you listening to this podcast. Alicia obviously wants you to hear the words that she's she's saying, and obviously, you know, exploring her book if that's of interest to you. But this conversation, if and within itself, is not replacing that because you need to learn how to be safe first and foremost with yourself. And I actually, that's a great segue. We're going to talk about vulnerability and then being vulnerable with others so that you can be able to reprocess all those painful experiences. Mm-hmm. And so when people think, I'm, I'm reading your section about vulnerability. Vulnerability opens the door to honesty. I honestly observed my feelings, the urge to throw and became curious about their origin feeling wrong and powerless. And after allowing myself to be honest, the urge never returned. And I could have started to appreciate why my husband scolded me. We're not going to get into the the context about that. I just wanted to say that you are embracing yourself in that moment and allowing vulnerability to occur. And for a lot of people, they don't really know what healthy vulnerability looks like. Right. So that is really tricky because some people overshare with the wrong people and then they're vulnerable to getting hurt over and over again, right? So again, this calls for a therapist to help you decipher who is safe and who isn't safe. And let's start with the self. How can you feel safe within your own you know, your, your own being. And what does it feel like to feel safe? And that could be a journey, even, even of itself for somebody before they can even process trauma, they have to know how to feel safe in the body. And honestly, I think it's, it's through the body that, that makes that even possible. Right. Yeah. I I love your Roomba exercise. 
Because I had a Roomba before. Okay, well, okay, okay. For those of you guys who are like, what, what, what are you guys talking about Roomba? Let me explain. And I'm actually going to just read a little bit of the Roomba exercises about getting connected with your body somatically. Somatic referring to the body is find a place to sit in a relaxed position, but still upright. Close your eyes and start off taking four deep belly breaths. Some of us have so much shallow breaths because we're so yes. used to holding things tight. Slow down your exhale to four to five seconds and to access a parasympathetic nervous system, you know, that state where we can calm down, where we're not in flight or fight or flight or all those other stuff. And with your eyes closed, imagine that there's a Roomba vacuum floating around your head and imagine the vacuum is sucking out everyone else's energies until it feels like yours is all that is left. When we grow up in pain-filled environments where there's chaos and confusion, we feel like we have to take on the junk of everybody else. So I love your exercise. We're like, whoop, nope, nope, let's clean that up. Nope, that's mom. Nope, that's Uncle Jimmy. Oh, nope, that's cousin Cynthia. Like, that's not me. Those are not my feelings. Yes, yes. It's it's so funny. And I think it happens a lot. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it, it happens more often with women because we are the caretakers of everybody and we have to stop doing that we have to stop caretaking for everybody um because well it's okay to caretake if you are not emotionally enmeshed in somebody else's drama or trauma right as a therapist i would have burnt out a decade ago if I didn't know how to not carry the energy of my traumatized clients with me. So I had to learn different, you know, little practices and exercises to make sure I don't bring that energy into me and, you know, back home with me. So the body is the starting point in doing that. And imagination, the power of imagination. We don't utilize it enough. We certainly allow our imagination to run wild when it's something catastrophic or something bad, negative. But we never like take the time to, to not never, but most of us do not take the time to imagine like, well, what if it works out in this really awesome way? Or what if I don't have to carry everybody else's energy? I love that what if question. Like, oh, what if I can have boundaries and also be loving? It is possible. And it's imperative in order to stay present with yourself and with the person, with whoever you're relating to. It all goes back to that curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. It always goes back to that. I cannot end this conversation without talking about spirituality. And I know that there's a lot of people listening that have had some very painful feelings surrounding religion. And they, when we talk about spirituality, like, no, 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 no. I don't want to talk about the God stuff. I don't, I don't want to talk about the the church or none of that stuff. It, it, and especially if you had very dogmatic and oftentimes hypocritical parents who espouse certain religious virtues but it didn't play out in the home there's a lot of pain and confusion and so i 
obviously this conversation could be a conversation within itself about spirituality and, and trauma healing. But I just want you to kind of explain for those of the people like why why talk about you're not even Christian, Alicia. Like, why are we talking about spirituality? Oh, that's a great question. Right. Yeah. Spirituality is so much more and it's it's not organized religion. It's not a set of somebody else's beliefs written written down. It's spirituality to me is is the higher self or the divine part of you, right? The part of you that is above that maybe you can't access it all the time, but that is above the humanity of the planet. <laughs> we need the humanity to stay grounded, right? But for me, I need spirit to give me meaning, to give this life meaning and purpose. And that is what drove me to write that book. That, that was a four-year project. It wasn't necessarily fun, you know, but I followed the the spiritual energy, you know, and the book is its own like entity in a way it's like you know giving birth to a child or having a child and you send them off into the world when they're adults so the book being published is me sending off this baby out into the world and i hope it serves everyone who comes in contact with it well i hope it serves it well but so that's what spirit means for me like I, I, it's hard. I cannot wrap my head around like, yep, we live, we die. And that's it lights out. Like, no way, no way. What there's just, it's so hard to be an earthling. It's so, this planet has so much pain to it. Right. But if you can access spirit, you also see the beauty behind that pain, the beauty, even in the middle of the pain. There's always a purpose for everything. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've heard so many cliche things. Well, you can't have a te testimony without tests and you don't have a message without message. And, <laughs> and like all these things, but like, <laughs> but when we have spirituality, I think it puts context around everything that it's being used not just for our benefit, but for those who are walking a similar path. Now we're in into the future. A hundred percent. And if you're not someone who can get on the God bandwagon, that's okay. You can even have a perspective of ancestry. Like all the cycles that I ended in my lifetime so far, <laughs> they did not begin with me, right? This is a lineage. <laughs> There's a lineage of shame and fear and female conditioning and uh, and abuse, a lineage of it, of poverty, of illiteracy. And I ended that. I ended those cycles in this. And that's like, woohoo, you know, like that's something to celebrate. Like this, this is not getting passed down to my son. And so on and so forth. So spirituality to me is also ancestry stuff and, you know, appreciating what they gave you, but also like, you know, giving back what no longer, you know, is useful to you. I love your section on ancestry, by the way, it's, it's worth the read for those of you guys who are listening. But if we can understand that 
the things that are hurting us are really designed to help us and help everyone that comes across our path become better people. Gosh, imagine what a wonderful world it would be when we absolutely pain rather than try to run away from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We talked about so many things, but is there like something that just really just you really want people who are listening to just walk away from the life? Okay, if there's nothing else, it should be this. If there's nothing else, okay, let's talk. I'm just going to talk briefly about shame because shame is insidious. It is head to toe. When I ask people, where do you feel the shame in your body? I think almost all of them say, oh, it's all over. It's head to toe. It's not even in one area. Um, And I guarantee you, if you start to empathize with that shameful part of you, just approach it with empathy as if it's um, somebody you love who is feeling the shame, that that will start to um, melt away that shame. And when you and then then it's easier to forgive yourself to love yourself. And it, you know, and I'm not speaking um, lightly about loving oneself. It is the path to healing, forgiving oneself. It is the path to healing. When you can do those things, you can be completely present for another person and you are a lot less judgmental with others. This polarization of our society right now, you know, is so intense. But when you can empathize with yourself, your mistakes, your shame, it becomes a lot easier to empathize with those that you would normally judge. Polarization is is, is for real. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more for monetary purposes, but but yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but I, I I did I I'm sorry. I I had to just kind of jump in and just say one other thing about this idea of the shame, because when we call our when we have that shame, we're basically saying I'm not worthy, and if I'm not worthy. I have nothing to contribute to anything or anyone. And that's where the hopelessness sits in, the, the depression, the mm-hmm. suicidal ideations pop up and all, all these issues. And so we can get it at the core. Like just because they were acting this way doesn't mean you don't have value. Is it was on them. Put return back the package of of of, of fear and guilt back onto them return it back, mm-hmm. you know, return to sender, put a little stamp for the return to sender, because in order <laughs> for you to heal, it requires sending back to what doesn't belong to you. And maybe mm-hmm. it does require going through and revisiting those messages that you were saying to yourself. And that takes time. And I love your book it goes through lots of wonderful exercises about how to go through it. But anywho, how can people find you? How can people like learn more about you and your work and obviously seeing you if that's something that is sparking interest. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so I am on Instagram at sacred healing place is my handle at sacred healing place. My website um, is always almost always updated with um, updated information about my services. And, you know, the book is on there too, um, is sacred healing place, Tacoma.com. Tacoma is where I work and live, Tacoma, Washington. So Sacred Healing Place, Tacoma.com. The book is available on your favorite, any of your favorite um, online 
book retailers. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. I'm so grateful for our conversation. I'm so grateful for those who are listening and they're receptive to their what the universe is unfolding before their eyes. They just have to open their eyes and just let things unfurl. And it, everything is meant for you, not to you. And that being said, thank you, Alicia, so much from the bottom of my heart. Thank you guys who are listening. I truly believe we're all working together to become the best version of ourselves, but it's only up for you to decide. So if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it far and wide. Reach out to Alicia if that's something that's interests you, but more importantly, love yourself and know that you are here for a unique and meaningful purpose. With that being said, thank you, Alicia. And for everyone who's listening, take care and be awesome.